when we learn to ask the meaningful questions, we also have to learn how to be more vulnerable ourselves. And I understand that there are people who don't feel safe and have good reasons to not feel safe to be vulnerable. And that is dealt with in, in the book as well. But learning to be a better listener is something we all need to work on. And I interviewed one of the world's most renowned listening experts, listen to Dr. Julian Treasure. And one of the things he explained, and it's something I do all the time, and that is anticipatory listening, because I'm so excited to get from the gather ask to the do phase that I'm already, when I'm listening, is like, what can I do? This is Get Shit Done a podcast that dives into how women entrepreneurs are gaining traction and growing companies that scale generational impact. Each episode is real talk from women founders who have successfully scaled companies. You'll learn what they did to grow, how they did it, and the tools they used to get it done so you can too. To get access to more episodes of Get Shit Done, along with free traction tools, Head on over to shegetshitdone.com. Welcome back to the Get Shit Done podcast, friend. I'm your host, Alex Batdorf, a.k.a. Chief Get Shit Done Officer. Today, I'm geeked to share this conversation with the queen, Susan McPherson, founder of McPherson Strategies. Susan is a self-proclaimed accidental entrepreneur who started her impact communications company at 48 years old. Yes, honey, work. Fun fact, it is proven that the most successful entrepreneurs are actually on average 45. Cue the rainbow, the more you know. And in the last nine years, she has scaled to the multi-millions with now 15 employees. A good chunk of that hyper growth actually happened in 2020 and 2021 during the midst of the height of the pandemic. And here's what I love about our conversation. Susan not only echoes, but breaks down the methodology behind how successful founders get things done. Can you guess what that is? Through connections. Yes, Susan is a super connector and even wrote a book about the lost art of connecting and how tapping back into connection helps us build meaningful relationships that ultimately build meaningful businesses, aka stop trying to do this alone, honey. You're good enough as you are, where you are, so get the support you need. So we're going to get into it and you're going to get all the gems for how you can tap into the most meaningful relationships so you can scale your impact. And speaking of connecting, if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetshitdone.com slash join. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. This truly helps us serve more folks like you and achieve our mission of scaling impact. And never forget, friends, fuck for percent. I just need it to become a jingle, right? Women own nearly half of businesses, but we only generate 4% of total revenues. But you already know that ends here with our movement and with you. And without further ado, Queen Susan McPherson. Susan, welcome to Get Shit Done. Alex, I could not think of a better place to be. Thank you. I love that. You have such a like energetic smile. It's just, and it's so genuine too. Like, you know, there's sometimes, because you do a lot of media, 
but there are people that have their media like smile and it's like <laughs> it's like the pageant girl like let me cock yeah. my head to the side like you know a puppy <laughs> but yours is very like this is just who you are well i'm so tiny i have to do something when i walk in a room and if i were to cock my head to the side i'd be even shorter yeah so I got to hold my head high and have a big smile. So it is completely genuine. <laughs> I love it. It's out of utility. It's like, well, I'm genuine because it's also out of utility, right? Oh, yeah. I love it. I love that. That's a, that's a great problem to have. So we're, before we kick off and talk about all the incredible things you do and that you're doing, I want to do a check-in with you. So if you could describe one word, because there's start ups and downs and business up and downs, and you can feel all the feels in the course of a day. How would you say in this moment you're feeling in your business, if you could say it in one word? Optimistic. I like that. That was me last week. That was me last week. <laughs> it, may, it may be gone in five minutes. But... Right. <laughs> Maybe we start talking about something I trigger you. Who knows? Optimistic. Yes. I feel like I'm still on that wave, but you all won't hear this until like probably a month out but it's my birthday week, August, the first week of August. And I was telling Susan that the thing I really want to accomplish this year, it's like, yeah, the business goals, the personal goals, all that is peace. So I feel like I feel peaceful. I love that. It, you I know, when peaceful. I hear that, I just almost sudden want to exhale. Like it's right. like, you know, it's something, it's something that I think we all wish for. And May it be your birthday. May, may your birthday wish come true for sure. Yes, I appreciate that. So I want to dive on in. You have done incredible work in the world. And I want to take it back to before you started your company. So what were you all about? Have you always been an entrepreneur? Like, where do you want to take us with this? Where does it start? I am what you would call an accidental entrepreneur, least likely entrepreneur in the world. And I, I'll start before and then I'll tell you why I say that. I never, ever, ever in my 20s and my 30s and a good chunk of my 40s. By the way, I'm 57 now. I and never she looks fabulous. Oh my <laughs> goodness. You. you look better than most 30-year-olds I know. <laughs> It's called, it's called whatever Zoom like filters, I guess, but thank you. I will take it. I try to keep myself healthy, but, or not, but the, I, if anything could never have even imagined, and it wasn't part of the plan to be an entrepreneur, but I was often an entrepreneur, meaning at the companies I worked in corporate America for, oh, 17 to no, more like 20 years. And I was often the person that every two years would be running different projects. So I learned by doing this how to get, and I'll say it here, shit done. Because in other words, they'd say, Susan, you go run with this project. You have two or three years to, to see it to fruition, go for it. And then they would give me very little resources and no staff, but I would get it done. So years, years later, when I was starting this company and I had no clue, people reminded me, it's like, you've actually been doing this all along. But the few years before I started McPherson Strategies, I was working at a boutique consulting firm that, and I was building their corporate responsibility practice. This was back in 2010. And around 2013, there was a lot of people leaving. And in the consulting world, when you have talent exiting, it's a warning sign, you know? And I realized at the time I was 48, I was like, you know what? I got to make a move now because ageism does exist in this country and in this world. 
So a couple of organizations, um, nonprofits said, Susan, if you leave, we'll, we'll hire you for a few months. And that gave me the runway to exit the company. I left on a Friday. I started my little teeny consult consulting firm that Monday because I was so terrified they'd change their mind. Wow. And so I never took day off. Note to self, don't do that again. But, and I never would have named it McPherson Strategies if I thought it was going to become something because God bless him, but he's my, it's my ex-husband's name. And we broke up in 2003. So if wow. I thought this was going to be something, I would have been a little more creative. I probably would have been a little <laughs> more narcissistic. But what happened was, you know, 2013, I sent an email to about 7,000 friends and I just said, you know, I'm going to be doing this for a little bit. If you know someone who needs X, Y, and Z, please reach out. And we've been growing ever since. And 90% of our business has been inbound over the last nine years. This is amazing. And it reminds me of even how I started to get shit done. And we're going to get into this because I think a superpower of Susan's is connection and building relationships. And that was really like when I exited my last company and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I realized there was this really big problem systemically for women entrepreneurs and growth. I didn't have a website and do anything like that. I was just like, let me just send an email to my network about what I'm going to do and say, here's where you could help me. And it was probably like hundred, a couple hundred people that I've met over, you know, the years. And it was nice, whether it was words of encouragement or actually I can introduce you to this person or that and so on and so forth. So I love this. And honestly, I feel like, yeah, you can come up with a really cool name, but sometimes the, the coolest companies or the most sustainable or the unsexy ones are seemingly <laughs> unsexy. <laughs> like the ones that like, like have longevity. So good yeah. for you. Didn't overthink it because we get too caught up in the details. So now it's kind of a starting out of a need but shifted towards opportunity. So tell us like what problem is McPherson strategy solving for? Sure, that's, that's a great question. I do wanna just add one other thing to the founding story. I had been, I had not been without a paycheck since I was 15. So, and I had bag lady syndrome in my head, right? I'm, I'm both my parents grew up during the depression. I, you know, always, always, always lived beneath my me, you know, beneath the means, et cetera. But, you know, to go. And that's probably why I left on a Friday and started on a Monday. But the, that we serve and I, one of the reasons we've grown so much is the world is paying much more attention to the impact institutions is, are having, whether they're corporations, whether they're startups, whether they're foundations or NGOs. And if they are having an impact, they need to be sharing that impact with the audiences that are help, that, that are important to them. So we help them distill what their impact is and help them communicate that, whether it be through traditional earned media or public relations, digital, social, advocacy building, partnership creation. But we have stayed very true to that swim lane of the communications of impact. What, what got you into this space? Because I love that's we literally talk about impact all the time at Get You Done. It's like, we're not just scaling companies, we're scaling generational impact. What does that look like for our families, our community long-term? Because we're seeing the effects of what it looks like when businesses aren't intentional and we're dealing with all these crises. So what was it in these collection of experiences before you started 
that had you focus in this space that you knew this is the opportunity here? Well, a couple of, a few things. One, even as a child, I grew up volunteering, you know, yes, the proverbial lemonade stand. My late mother worked for public television and drilled into me the notion of how important, how, you know, which you used to always say, you are the, the you in public TV and the importance, because I would say to her mom, why don't you work for one of the, the other, you know, there were only three at the time or four and I, you know, networks. And she, I'd say you, you would have made so much more money. And she would always say, yeah, but the content you know, the good the PBS is doing. And my father was a professor at a women's college for 39 years. And his belief was women needed to play as equal a role in society and getting an education was one of the first and most important ways to do that. So having both of the, their influence on me and then professionally, whenever I would move to a new city, I would join a nonprofit and, and, or a political kind of a, a political advocacy group just to make friends, because you would end up meeting people who may be different from yourselves, but you did share some values, right? So inevitably at the companies I was working for, I became the person when they wanted to fund a cause, you know, and in the early aughts, we, you know, companies started stepping up, whether you could say it was for solely PR purposes or not, they Regardless, they did. And you saw companies becoming more mindful about their carbon footprint. You saw companies being much more transparent because they had to be because of, of social media. So I just, in, because of my longevity working kind of or volunteering in the nonprofit space, I became the go-to person. Be like, Susan can help us decide what gala we should buy a table. And, you know, I could bore all your listeners with the rest, but it was it was mainly that. And then there was one slight aha moment. When I moved to New York City in 2003 from Seattle and I didn't know anyone, I followed the, my usual path and I joined an organization called the Business Council for Peace, which stands for Be Peace. Still around today. It had been formed right after 9-11 and it was a network of mainly women, but women business professionals that were pooling our business acumen to help women entrepreneurs in Afghanistan and Rwanda, because this was right after 9-11. And our goal was if we help these women and not just, you know, give dole out money, but help them put their business on a growth trajectory, teach them how to use QuickBooks, teach them how to market, they would then be able to create more jobs, which led to less violence. And that was clear in Afghanistan. So I went to Kabul for three weeks in 2005, and it was the first time I saw business actually in real time being a force for good. Because... These women were, we would put them on a three-year plan and over the course of three years, their kids would stay in school longer. They hired people, they trained people. And, you know, obviously it's de devastating when I think what's happening in Afghanistan now, but that to me was like, I need to be continuously pushing into this field. So mm. that's I love it. It speaks to my soul because Aww. that's, oh my goodness, that's exactly I think everyone is and why I don't believe I don't even use the terminology competition. I think there's just other players because we're all meant to do something here and it's based off of our collection of experiences. And even the fact that you had all of these moments and you worked with organizations, nonprofits, you became the super connector. I kind of had similar trajectory and like I was very plugged in with people, but then all these experiences led me to, oh, here's something systemically is not, that's not working. How can I pull together my community, 
my acumen and the people I know to do this so that we can rise together. I love that. So sounds like you're a super connector. You are really great at building these networks, pooling resources together. And now you have McPherson strategies that, you know, it's been a, almost a decade or a little over a decade. It'll be nine years. Nine uh, years. Okay. So almost. almost. And multi-million dollar company. You have a good amount of employees. You started when you were 48, like <laughs> in, in, incredible because it's not the stories we typically hear. We hear about these and I've heard it. I've said it so many times on this podcast. The OGs know this is my grandmother calls it microwave generation. We just want it fast, go fast, scale fast, get there fast. And I'm like, most businesses and really good ones, they take time. Even the ones we see in the media that seemingly look like they became a rocket ship overnight, did not become a rocket ship no, overnight. No. So can you tell us what have you done consistently well in the nine years as the founder and the CEO of this company that still holds true today? Well, early on, I figured out what I suck at and I made sure I surrounded myself with people that were good at those things. And I know it's how I said, I make it sound so silly, but it's so true. I think one of the benefits of, of founding a company at a, at a riper age, let's say, is that you are much more attuned with your strengths and your weaknesses. And I did not have an ego that it would bother me to bring in others that could, for instance, do things like financial modeling, which I to this day, do not know how to do. <laughs> so, oh God. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's overwhelming until like, I finally sit down and I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. But it like, at first it's like, oh, <gasps> yeah. Yes. Well, I knew my secret sauce, you know, for years was this notion of, of building connections. And of course, that's why I wrote my book. But I knew if I was going to be caught up in the minutia of the building blocks, et cetera, there's no way I could continue to do what I was good at. And I'll never forget a, a consultant named Jacqueline Ackman, who had been in a sustainability consultant for many years, probably about month four or five after I launched, she pulled me aside and said, let's have coffee. And the advice she gave me, I still to this day live by, and that is that this is generalization, but as women, we tend to hoard, you know, when the, when the money's coming in, we like put it aside and we say, you know what, it's there for a rainy day. And of course, in my world, there was a rainy day coming. Like I was just yeah. like, oh, it's coming. I got to have yep. cash. And she said, that is the absolute opposite thing you want to do. When the money's coming in is when you want to spend and you want to hire people whether they're 1099s or employees, but you want to surround yourself so that you can be out doing what you are good at doing, speaking, writing, being on various social platforms to continue to get the word out. And I listened to her and that has transpired to now 15 employees, clients ranging from Ford and Nike to Dell and Salesforce to, you know, the Women's Philanthropy Institute and Games for Change. And, and, and I could go on and on and on. So I credit that with getting out of my own way, but also getting over my fear that the sky was going to fall. Because if I put that investment in people and good people, then the growth would happen. Oh, this is like strike such a chord because I very similar I have you know we never in poverty I guess everything is perception wise like at some point when I was younger we were on like food stamps and things like that I never felt like we were poor but I also have 
you know, a, a mother who is very type A, very, it's a rainy day, like, hold on for dear life when everything's fine. And to some extent, it kind of has worked for her and others. It's like, okay, you get to live too. look at all the amazing things you've done. But as her child, that's modeled to me. So I noticed doing that too in my businesses in getting more accustomed to, I need to invest in this because this thing is, my time here is more valuable. And there's trade-offs because there's at, there's some stages of your business. Like maybe when you're just starting off, you might not have the capital to be able to say that. But as you pick up momentum, then it's like, let, let me not hoard because now I do have some means. So let me pass it off to your point so I can keep focusing on the things I'm really good at. Yeah. I love that. So it seems like I can only imagine with like these companies like Nike, these nonprofits, you are the salesperson, you're building those relationships. And if there's something that is consistent from what we've seen with the women we've had on this podcast in their scaling success, a lot of it does come down to them selling. And selling to me is really building relationships. Oh yeah. We make it seem sleazy, but a lot of times my business development calls are conversations. It's not transactional. It's like, what can we accomplish together? And something I see to your point around hoarding and how women are socialized, we see this in our community of women entrepreneurs as well is sometimes even hoarding until we feel we're good enough to do it or be seen or heard. And so you might get people around you that are like, hey, I would love to have that conversation. They're like, oh, come back to me in like maybe a month. But it was like, you should have talked to them two months ago. (laughs) (laughs) No, and we're just hoarding and waiting until, am I good enough yet? Is this good enough yet? And we're missing so much opportunity on us being able to grow because what I look at my male counterparts and mentors, what they do well is because they're not socializing shame the way we are mm-hmm. is saying, actually, I don't have the answer here and I would like your help. Yeah. Actually, do you know so and so? They will open up their mouth. And so I would love to shift into because your your superpower is connection, building relationships. You wrote a book about this and you call it the lost art of connecting. And I would just love for you to break down the premise of this book and then why you even decided to write it. Yes, ah, that's a lot. Well, first and foremost, when people see the title of the book, they assume it was written in response to the pandemic, but I had it brewing years and years and years ago. In fact, and this sounds a little sad, but when my mom was killed, I was 21. And by the time I was my mid twenties, I had this dream that I wanted to honor her by being able to do the tribute, you know, the front of the book where you get to pay tribute to someone or people who have helped you. And I used to fantasize about that. So in terms of, you know, I didn't have a long-term goal to be an entrepreneur, but I did have a long-term goal to write that, that tribute, <laughs> not the book. That's beautiful. You know, my, when I look back at my life and when I started putting this book together, which again was around, was 2018, I realized that almost every single good thing that has happened in my life happened because of connections. And I think if we all look at our, the years that we've been on this planet, it's a pretty, pretty common thing once you really peel back the layers. But I also knew my company wouldn't have been successful if I hadn't built the connections that I had in my 20s, in my 30s, and in my 40s. So I wanted to take some of what I learned 
and share with other, it's a business book with other business professionals so that they know that this isn't an exercise in futility and that it's very different from networking because I believe the difference, there's many differences, but the fundamental difference in connecting and networking is leading with how you can be helpful to others. And when you're helpful to others, the help comes back. Maybe not all the time, but the vast majority of the time. And it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not even be next week, but it will be over the next year, the next months, the next decades. And that has been proven to me day and day when, you know, even earlier this week, yet another new business lead came in from somebody who I knew through somebody from 15 years ago. So I, it's an important message. I think it's a very important message for anyone starting an entity, whether it's a nonprofit, a business, a foundation, because we are a sum of our connections. And there are going to be times when we need help. So if we can lead with being helpful, when we do need to ask, it is so much easier. I mean, I'll just cut to the chase. So I wanted to share what I've learned and my methodology, and that's why I wrote the book. I love that. And what I find really interesting about that and juxtaposition to what we're socialized into, the very hyper-masculine idea of business, where I think we, we need a good balance of both feminine and masculine, but it tells us like, go get the deal, just close, just close. And so to, I love this point, the distinction between, between connections and network. And I think women are, we are naturally nurturers yeah. and givers to the detriment of us sometimes. Let <laughs> me see. And I always say you have to take the oxygen mask first. This is not, I mean, I don't run around a room and say, how can I help? How can I help? It's learning to know the signals so you can be helpful when the time is right for you to be helpful. And, you know, part of this also came, I'm a trained saleswoman. I learned in the early 90s. And one of the things I learned and it was probably drilled into my head was to look for signals of what people's hopes and dreams were. Because then if you can help them get to those hopes and dreams, they will buy anything from you. And I know I sound like an ass saying that, but I, I, I'm being a, No, a, I think it's true. Right? I mean, it, and so I learned, you know, this was 1989, 90, when I was going through sales training, I learned to really key in, you know, what, 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 are, what, what are people looking to accomplish? And if you could be one little cog in that wheel, you, you are building a meaningful connection that will last a lifetime. So when, and I love that point, those signals, for anyone listening right now, how can they tap into those signals? How have you done it? Uh, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I learned everything I can to hone my listening skills, but not just with my ears on social media, in researching. When I'm going to have a meeting with somebody or reach out to someone that I don't know, I will do some, you know, five or 10 minutes of research. And I joke because my first job out of college was at USA Today. And I was a researcher and this was in the eighties. And when I used to have to interview people for a story, I had two means to research them, the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Yellow Pages. Today, wow. <laughs> it was a little antiquated. This was the dinosaur drove. But now, if you are reaching out to someone on LinkedIn to make an ask, or you're reaching out to someone because you, you know, want a new, a new career trajectory and you'd love to gain some knowledge from them, you have everything at your disposal to find out what that, that person's about. 
you know, you can find out on Twitter what they're upset about. You can try, you can go onto LinkedIn and see their career trajectory. You can go onto Instagram and see if they have grandchildren. In other words, you have all the means to find out so that when you do reach out to them, you're already having some sense of commonality and the uncommonality. And then that's when you employ the listening, the asking questions that will help you get those signals. So I, I don't want to make it seem like it's this arduous, you, you know, but I do want to inspire your listeners to think that this is actually fun, like getting to know people and getting to know people who are different from yourselves, but that perhaps, you know, you have common values with, and, and that's part of the excitement of it all. Mm. We, we have a mutual connection, Christina Blackens, she's oh. the founder of New Quo. And she and I were just talking this weekend with some friends around how we're a, a culture now of answers and not questions. And to your point around listening and being able to, to tap in with people, one of my favorite books is called A More Beautiful Question. And it talks about how we have lost the ability to connect and really innovate in really interesting ways because we have trained people to have all the answers versus questioning. And one of my favorite things when I'm making connections, and I've said this before, especially on this season of the podcast, for 2022, one of my favorite sayings is, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> I don't. Like, so there's some really great like partnership you know, deals that we're working through right now. And some of those conversations has really started with, well, what were you thinking? I'm like, I don't know, but I thought we could sit here and like, figure out like, what are you focused on? What are we, and if there's a way to align and we actually get so much more done and mind you, I'm not going in there blind. I've done my research, yeah, you know, but not putting pressure on myself to have this really prim and proper box of here's the, the, the lesson where I'm like, I, we actually got more done from just that conversation and asking questions. I love it. I love this. I love this. Okay. So you, obviously understand the art of connecting very well for entrepreneurs listening and from maybe your own experience or what you've seen what are you what do you feel are the biggest missed opportunities in connecting in business that you find are have actually quick fixes so you mentioned you know having your you have your ears you have your mouth yeah. but are there other things that you would advise entrepreneurs to be doing to build those meaningful connections yeah. in their businesses so they're not making it so transactional and they're taking so much of the weight off of them doing it by themselves. Well, I'm happy to run through quickly at a, at a very 30,000 foot view what the methodology in my book that might give your listeners at least a, a, do it. A, to contextualize it. In the book, the book is broken into gather, ask, do. But the underlining, if you look at that as the three sections, the underlying notion is always leading with how you can be helpful. So with, with that kind of guiding principle, gather, in, it, it would be for an entrepreneur to first connect with the most important person in their life, and that is themselves. And essentially do almost an audit. What, is, what are your goals, let's say, for your business over the next one year, three year, hell, five years? Or you can even do six months, a year, two years. And then you think about who is it that you want to connect with or reconnect with that is going to help you meet those goals, but also how, how you can be helpful to others. And then also in that gather phase, you think about what your superpowers are. 
And before anybody says, oh, I don't have any, we all have them and they're going to ebb and flow. And you can't be helpful to others if you don't remind yourself what you're good at and the, and the, and the tools that you have. And lastly, in the gather phase, you think about how you're going to do everything you can to break that hermetically sealed bubble that so many of us live in, myself included, where we tend to attract people that are the same age, the same race, the same color, the same religion, et cetera, as ourselves. And we need to burst out of those bubbles because that is the only way we grow, both personally and professionally. So that's the gather phase. The ask phase is learning to ask the meaningful questions of others so that you can learn what their hopes and dreams are. And, you know, not to be prescriptive, but in the book, I think it's like chapter 11 has, you know, 12 questions you can ask of others just to start getting those. And, and, and not to be nosy, these are questions that are, you know, just to get you out of the anything but the weather talk, you know, as opposed to immediately talking about the weather in Cleveland. Nothing uh, or what is it that you, what do you do? <sighs> yeah, yeah, no. Like that gets you, you know, it's a safe, but it, I mean, we've been taught to ask these questions because it's safe. And then the other thing is, is when we learn to ask the meaningful questions, we also have to learn how to be more vulnerable ourselves. And I understand that there are people who don't feel safe and have good reasons to not feel safe to be vulnerable. And that is dealt with in, in the book as well. But learning to be a better listener is something we all need to work on. And I interviewed one of the world's most renowned listening experts. He's had four or five TED Talks. Highly recommend your listeners listen to Dr. Julian Treasure. I was blown away by him. And one of the things he, he explained, and it's something I do all the time, and that is anticipatory listening, because I'm so excited to get from the gather ask to the do phase that I'm already, when I'm listening, is like, what can I do? How can I be helpful? I'm, yep, I'm exactly like that. <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm like, I'm already thinking, who am I going to connect you with? <laughs> yes, yes. You and I are two peas in a pod, girl. But one of the things, you know, he taught me is to slow down and process it. And I'm a, I'm a ridiculous proponent of taking notes. And it may be just because I'm getting on in years. But to me, it's totally acceptable to take notes on your handheld or, in a, you know, old pad and paper when you're talking to people. So that when you get to the do, you can have memory and have signals, but also you can be responsive. And the best part about being in the do phase is you become reliable, trustworthy, confident, dependable, all the things that make a good entrepreneur. So that's the gather aspect. Yes. Hopefully that gives, gives you a bit of an arc. And obviously, if anybody reads the book, there's a lot more detail. Oh, I love this because, you know, I started my first business. This is my third, my first at 19. I've literally never worked anywhere other than building a business. And when people ask me whether it's, a, a, I especially love talking to college students or really like people in their twenties and they're like, oh, should I do this? Or do I, should I do that? And have this thing down. And I'm like, look, I'm pretty smart, but I wasn't the smartest person in the room. I'm like, I cared most about being the most connected person in the room. <laughs> I literally went to college and got a fake ID, not to just party, even though I did, but so I could meet people. And by the time I was like raising capital or doing things, I was so connected with people. Oh, so I, I love this, like this methodology. And I know that there's so much, especially in the listening part. I, I love this. So what have you done to become a better listener. So taking a beat, maybe in those moments when you find yourself like, cause I, I see so much of like what you're saying, me and you. So 
I will have those moments where I'm like, I'm already thinking and I'm like, I want to, I just want to help them with this. So what helps you to take a beat to stay present? That's such a great question. I catch myself when I'm starting to zone out about the Thai food I want to order for lunch or the dishes I left in my sink. Mm -hmm. I have, and again, maybe this is also age because you've just become a little bit more confident in your, in your shoes. But I will say to someone, I missed what you said. Can you repeat it? The old me would have been afraid to do that because I, I would have thought, yeah. you know, that person's going to think I'm disrespectful. But it's an example of being vulnerable, right? Because we all do it, right? It's just nobody wants to admit it. So by doing that, you're showing that, you know what, I'm human too. The other thing I have done is an exercise I learned from Dr. Treasure is, and it may be a form of meditation, but when I go out to walk my dog, every morning I take at least three minutes, it's, it's hard to do for more, where I just listen to all the sounds. Now, in New York City, unfortunately, mostly what you hear is honking and sirens. But when you just listen, I can't even tell you all the things you pick up on. You know, you'll hear people's conversations. You might hear, you know, an opening of a coffee, you know, a, a, a can. But that, the, that type of exercise every day really helps us become better listeners, especially in a world where there's so many distractions when we're on Zoom calls or we're at an event. And there's, you know, people milling around. But I have found that to be a really helpful exercise. And it just takes a few minutes a day. But I've noticed it's helped my concentration when I'm listening to people. Mm, I want to start doing that because I, I go on walks. That's my therapy, especially when it's it's summer in New York. So that's one of my things. Get up, walk around. I love walking. Yeah. I'm going to start doing this more. Just like Ryan. no podcast. I usually put music on something, but just like listening to everything. I love just to become that. a better listener because I, similar, I, I easily zone out. I actually did this in a, a really big meeting the other day and I was like, oh my God, but I don't want to like miss what they said. I'm like, actually, I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought. Like, hmm. what was I just saying? And at first I felt so ashamed, but I was like, no, I'm human. And the person was like, oh no, no, no. This is what you're saying, you know? So I, I love that you mentioned this and something you and I had discussed before, and this is top of mind for so many people right now, it's this, are we in a recession? Are we not? What, what's happening? There's so much uncertainty with the world, just in general, just a lot of, you know, unrest socially. And it feels like we've all just been kind of trying not to hold our breath, but holding our breath because of everything that's just happened in the last few years. And something you mentioned to me was around like, navigating this uncertainty with a team right now and you don't know what's going to happen. So how are you, how are you leading your team through this while also keeping your sanity? I don't know if I'm keeping my sanity. I'm, I'm deploying what I did at the beginning of the pandemic when I did, I was, I was terrified. I had had three new employees start the week before March 7th, March 8th, which is when everything kind of blew up, at least in New York city. And you know, of course I thought the first thing companies are going to cut is impact communications, right? It's not a, it's not a must have, but over the next year, our business doubled in size, both financially and, you know, human capital. So, you know, that, that obviously that, that being nervous was a waste of energy. I mean, it's good to be, you know, I, I, I have to be conscious of these things. We all have to be conscious of these things because, you know, people depend on us. But I have to also believe that if we continue to be doing really good quality work and I continue to do what I'm good at and do things like this and get out and talk to people and support other people, that the business will still come in. Now, maybe I sound like I'm, you know, 
using too many rose colored glasses, but it doesn't, it doesn't help to be pessimistic is, is part. But I'm also brutally honest. I sent an email out on Friday to everyone, or maybe third Thursday, Friday morning to everyone, because Thursday the news came out that we were quote unquote officially in a recession. And I just wanted to reassure everyone that we are in a good position, but that we are going to take measures to be just, you know, slightly more careful, you know, maybe not spend as much on this and that, because my responsibility is to keep everybody in, you know, thriving, keeping our clients happy and making our company a great place to work. So I'm really trying to focus on that and keep out all the noise, but also I don't want to be ignorant to it all either. Right. So. I, I took the upper hand. I think a few people, when they saw the email and it said note from me, everybody was like, oh. but then they read it and it was like, no, things are okay. So yes, I, we're okay. Um, take a yeah. beat. Take a beat. I mean, I've been around long enough to know. I mean, I worked at companies where nobody told you anything and that I can't operate that way. And I, I don't, I never want to do that to people because jobs are people's livelihoods, you know? Yeah. And they're, they're taking, a risk on you as as much as you on them hiring them but taking a risk on you and hey i'm actually putting my energy and time here to give my talent but also so i can survive and i can live and it just actually blows my mind not really blows my mind but pisses me off the fact that there are so many of these especially in the the high growth tech world so many of these layoffs happening with i just feel it's it's just so dehumanized as a, we're just going to get to the bottom line and get to sustainability. But I'm like, these are people's lives. Yep. Yep. These are people's lives. And I'm I'm just happy that you did that for your team. So one of my, my favorite questions to ask is what do you feel has been one of your biggest mistakes that you've made building this company that has now become one of your best lessons as a leader? I think, and I have been stating it without stating it, and that is, I wish it didn't take me this long to get my confidence. Because if I had known nine years ago that this would be, you know, a multi-million dollar company with 17 incredibly smart and brilliant team members, I mean, shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? But I now looking ahead, I feel in in a much more confident position. And I just wish I had had that before because the the imposter syndrome was getting the best of me when it shouldn't have. What do you feel was the moments, because it's probably not one moment, moment, but what do you feel helped you gain that confidence? Because that's something that so many women that listening right now are feeling is that lack of confidence, feeling like an imposter. And it's... It's when, when do I stop feeling this way? So what, and I'm sure you have still have moments, but. I got, yeah, of course. You know, looking at talking to our clients, hearing the results, hearing them say how amazed they are by the work that we've done and seeing, and seeing the results, seeing, you know, last year, for example, our team created the first Black women philanthropy list. It's now going into its second year. Last year, there might've been 150 nominations that came in this year, we doubled that. So it, you know, it will become the annual meaning and and my teeny little engine that could, we created this. And it's a, it's a remarkable thing to see that, you know, we in 2019 helped create Don't Ban Equality, which is getting business to step up 
to state abortion rights were, or taking away abortion rights was problematic for business. And of course, Monroe was just overturned, which is horrific. We now have 700 companies who have joined that are not just stating that abortion, the abortion bans are bad for business, but also signing up to do what they can to protect not only their employees, but their workers, their gig workers, their part-time workers. And that's, our company helped create that. I mean, I would never take credit. It's a coalition. But, you know, when I look back, I'm like, that's badass. That's pretty good for this 90-pound, 57-year-old. So yes. I have you know what this, this reminds me of? One of my, my, I call her my soul friend, Nicole Harry. She's an amazing jewelry designer. And she told me the other day, because I think we do this so much as women. Again, we don't give ourselves enough credit. She was like, Alex, I want you and I still need to do it. I'm going to do it before my birthday, Nikki. Do not worry. But she told me, I want you to write a timeline of all of the accomplishments you've made since launching this business. That's a great thing to do. We all should do it. She was just like, just see the timeline of everything. She was like, you do not give yourself enough credit. And to your point around like looking back and saying that's badass it sounds like the confidence really comes from sometimes it's being able to look back and say wait that's we pulled that off it takes us a little sometimes takes us a much longer to notice it and that's where that confidence comes in where i'm like actually no i've done this i know how to do this but it's like in practice so i'm so happy you mentioned that and i'm happy like i can just see like it's such a it's like your smile it's like very authentic confidence i really like that so our motto get shit done is fuck four percent we have potty mouths with a purpose we say that because women own nearly half of businesses in the u.s but we generate about four percent of total revenues and Uh. to your point and why i love your story and your focus on impact that's our impact it's like everything we do comes back to how do we move women through the revenue pipeline not just to say we have million dollar businesses don't really care about that it's what do these engines do to create long-term impact so you got into a a place that many women entrepreneurs have yet to go but that's what our movement is working on what's the focus now for you to get to the next level of growth yeah well my my goal because we grew so you know we were like this all along and then in 2020 and 21 it was like this and so my goal now is really about stabilizing which quite frankly, isn't as sexy, right? It, you know, it's a little kind of like ho-hum, but it's also, as you know, house of cards can only last so long, right? So it's building the foundation that perhaps wasn't as strong early on, because again, maybe I didn't have the confidence or I didn't have the resources, right? So now making sure we have the tools, making sure we have the technology resources, make sure, you know, we hired our first operations manager last year, God bless her. I can't, I don't even know how I ever dealt without her. But in other words, things like that. So my goal over the next few years is really just making sure that there are systems in place so that when we have new employees or or new projects, it's it, it's less of a recreate, you know, a, a new wheel. And also I want to do everything I can to make a shit ton of money so I can pay people out of this world and give them the benefits that they deserve. It's hard in, in impact, right? I mean, it, you know, it's uh, traditional communications firms can charge much higher. So uh, we have to be very creative. Companies and nonprofits are never going to have, or they're never going to devote the funds to 
impact as much as they would to help sell, you know, a book, right? Bad example, because publishers don't do anything anymore. But in terms of, of, you know, when you think of what companies spend on on marketing campaigns versus the fact that they are, you know, cleaning up the Amazon. So I have to be conscious of that. But I also, again, I want to be able to hire the best and brightest and the, the, the most thing and fun people. And you have to be able to pay people well, and I want to be able to do that. And to your point around systems, you know, we hear so much about grow, 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 scale, scale, scale. And the best companies I find take that beat to then say, let's put some infrastructure based on where we're at right now. Yeah, we, We're about to break the system because now we're at the next level, it's too heavy. How do we take that beat to get to the next? And then it creates room for you to achieve those goals. Like we can pay people more because now we have more capacity. Yeah. We, have the, we have all of the infrastructure in place. So based on that goal, how can the people listening in support you? Well. If they know of any organizations looking for help on communications and it's impact focused, by all means, send them our way. And I hope if you have interest, you would read the book. There's also an audible book. So if you like hearing my voice, you can hear me reading the book. <laughs> but that's it. And but more importantly, how can I support your audience? Because, you know, they're the you. Everything I know about you, Alex, and I know the pe- I know some people who know you have so much respect. So I can only imagine the people listening are all just rockets, rocket stars, and rock stars. And I'd love to see how I can be helpful to them. Oh, I think honestly, the biggest thing is this conversation and sharing your experiences and. Definitely check out her book. Definitely if you, because we have some amazing people in the impact space that do listen, connect with her because we are in this really interesting time where I think we're having this collective consciousness moment where people are trying to do more together. So check out Susan, check out everything she's doing. I'm grabbing her book literally like it's in my Amazon cart right now. So Go grab her book and then go re-listen to all the things we talked about in terms of connecting. Thank you. Alex, this was an absolute delight. I am so grateful to you and almost birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Get Shit Done. We hope you got the traction tips you need to grow your company on your own terms. If you want to learn more traction tips like these from Badass Women Entrepreneurs Weekly, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, queen, show us some love by rating and reviewing this podcast. This really helps us reach and serve more women like you in slaying their way to traction. And if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetsshitdone.com slash join, where you'll become a part of the movement of women entrepreneurs giving 4% the middle finger. Until next time, queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you got this. Now go out there and get shit done.